Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And hello, welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Monday, the 4th of July. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, Nathan Somersandara from Deep Data Analytics and Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Welcome to both of you. Good to see you Thanks, in the yeah. studio despite the horrible weather <laughs> we've had outside. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment with our stock of the day as we talk about insurers. But uh, Gaurav, of course, starting a new financial year, mm. crossing our fingers, it might be a little better than the second half of the last mm. year. And of course, tomorrow we're uh, looking at the RBA, what it does, expectations, going to lift rates again by around 50 basis points. How are you looking at the outlook at the moment? Well, the first thing I think is to acknowledge that we don't know what's going to happen. So if you're going to form opinions, form them weekly and be prepared to change them. Um, or uh, or uh, for, for me, I try not to form opinions about macro because I'm just wrong all the time. And I think most people are wrong, Andrew. I mean, think about well, where we were. Including the central bankers, maybe. Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> including the central bankers, that's right. Think about where we were even five or six months ago, what the expectations, the consensus was like, and how wrong that turned out to be. Mm-hmm. And you can go back even a year ago. It was even even wronger then than it, is, than it was six months ago. I, I think the consensus now is probably going to be wrong as well, and we'll only find out, out, find out how wrong or where it's wrong later on. So... Look, uh, consensus for me is, is something to be wary of. It's something to take note of. You know what's being um, priced in, what, what's expected, mm. but it's very rarely what actually occurs. Um, I think the task for investors remains that it al- as it always has been, and that's to uh, control your emotions, um, keep calm, and look at businesses um, and try and buy them at, at cheaper prices than what they're worth. I would put a proviso in that, is that if you, if you are prone to panic, panic early. I don't think there's any shame in panicking. Right. Uh, I, I do it, but I just do it very early. And I think if you are going to panic, panic, panic early um, and, and be done with it. Uh, but I think it's too late for that now. Right. <laughs> don't you panic you? about not having panic. That's right. right. Well, that's the, that's the other panic. But look, yeah. I think there is, there is far too much effort and intellect put into trying to predict what's going to happen in the future yeah. when it's undoubtedly going to be wrong. All right. Well, Nathan, how are yeah, you? Yeah, so give us your prediction. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, because we're, just before we, we began here, actually, you know, uh, you were talking about the outlook. I mean, it, clearly, as investors are now perhaps less worried about inflation, they're more worried about recession. But you're saying, well, it doesn't even matter if we actually are in recession or yeah. tipping into one at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd take the other side of it. Yeah. I think macro is important, but what is important is not the macro itself. It's about, as Gaurav said, what is being priced in versus what is the risk-weighted outcome and the gap between them. That's where the market gets it wrong, right, depending on which way the risk is. So understanding that disparity allows you to take advantage of the mispricing. Now, as far as I found it amazing that people are arguing over whether it's a bear market when it's behind 15% or 20%. (laughs) Now, it's a similar argument when it comes to whether it's a recession 
risk for the market mm. or an earnings risk. I don't care if it's a recession. The technicality of being called a recession, let me give you a hint. Central banks have never, ever called a recession. But we have recessions all mm. the time. Mm. So the reality is if you're waiting for someone to call the recession, it usually happens after the event. So forget about the recession worry. It is about earnings. When you have a slowing economy and the central banks have blatantly told you they are going to basically weigh on demand to bring down, that will bring down growth as well as inflation. That means there's earnings risk. So we are in a lower earnings risk cycle, but the numbers don't point to that. Hmm. If you look at the US earnings, they're actually going up year after year. Yep. So there is a disparity between what the macro is heading towards and what the micro data, stock level data is showing. So I think that's where the risk return is. So yeah, I don't worry about what, whether they're classified as a bear market or a recession. It's about what's happening in the data. And the data is telling us there's downgrades coming. Yeah. Now the question is, the market's not pricing. Well, that's right. As we, particularly as we head into confession season ahead of, uh, you know, once we're starting to get those earnings at the same time. So that's going to be know. important. I, I'm going to take the other side again of that. Um, like you've got retailers trading at f five times earnings. You've got a lot of businesses trading on single-digit multiples. Uh, I they are inferring. Downgrades. I don't. I don't disagree. Yeah, yeah. There are some parts of the market are already priced in recession. Yeah. Mm. Now, will they go lower? When the market falls, everyone gets hit, and they'll probably go a bit lower. But they've taken most of the damage. Mm. But there are some parts of the market, they're a long way to go. All right. Well, look, you two could continue debating <laughs> this point, but we do have a show to get through because we've got uh, some viewer requests that we need oh, to right. address. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's about the viewer. Uh, in fact, the first five uh, stocks we're going to look at in the show, Brickworks, uh, Australian <clears> Clinical <throat> Labs, Dusk, Core Lithium and Orica. Now, stock mm. of the day, Suncorp. It's reported natural hazard costs in line with guidance, saying the last financial year it dealt with uh, 35 separate events and more than... 120,000 natural hazard claims, an expected cost of around 1.1 billion. The company saying changes have been made to its reinsurance strategy following elevated natural hazard activity in recent years. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, this comes as we've just had <laughs> the latest flooding event in New South Wales and to an extent also in Queensland uh, with uh, flooding again hitting those communities. So you see that's yet another hit to come. So, uh, Gaurav, how are you looking at Suncorp at the moment, and, and I guess more generally with the insurers? Andrew, I think insurance are probably some of the hardest businesses on the market to analyse, and I think too many people make the mistake of watching the share prices and trying to pick when they're cheap or when they're dear based on share price movements and not watching the underlying business, which I challenge people to actually go through those accounts and explain what is going on, because these are so opaque and there is so much um, discretion in the way they report their income. Um, it's very hard. So take Suncorp, for example. They have a whole bunch of reinsurance contracts, the details of which we know nothing. They could be well-written policies. They could be poorly written policies. We know nothing about them. But we do know that they're very important to the underlying result. Now, there are trends going on in insurance which I think are interesting and important. And, uh, and one of the, well, the two main ones are that clearly they're... Um, their investment books are yielding a lot more um, and their uh, um, underwriting profits um, are probably turning. So that they're probably making more money on their underwriting profits and they're probably making more money on their investment books. Um, and that sounds like a very good thing, but in, in, in fact what that does is spur a lot of price competition and I think we will see that um, coming through. So just I, I would just caution um, the, these companies are going to report some good results. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the pricing environment is quite attractive. 
but but this is a very competitive industry and and that competition is going to be intense especially when those investment returns start um, pouring in a lot more cash than they have been doing over the last 10 years it's an it's a bit it's an industry I generally avoid because of the complexity um, but this is a, a an okay business I would say look if, if you want to be there I see no glaring reason to, to buy it or to sell it um, I have no strong opinion on it, except to say that this is this is overly complex for the amount of return you're likely to receive, and on a risk-reward basis, it makes very little sense to me. Um, so I'm going to avoid it. But there's no bombs that that I can obviously see, and and neither is there a, a glaring opportunity here. Okay, all right. Yeah, Maith and I. In fact, I just uh, received my uh, renewed premium for my home and content. I had to look at it twice. I think. That can't be right. It's gone up 30%. Inflation. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> Welcome to inflation. <laughs> the trick is to do it again. You don't yeah. just pay the premium. No, no, you no. You apply it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time to burn the house down and collect. Anyway. <laughs> of course, I did actually change. Insurance. Good on you. Yeah. yeah. See, most Aussies don't. Mm. We're a lazy lot, That's right? right? Yeah. Well, we're lazy when prices are low, as they yeah. start rising. No, but I, actually, I am a relentless churner. I really yeah. am. Yeah. There's only a few people who do that. Yeah. The majority of us... We big four banks know that, yeah. and that's why they take us to the cleaners. And because once you're in, they can keep jacking it up, and we just sit there and take it. And it, the interesting part about Suncorp is it's part insurance, part bank. They're trying yeah. to divest the bank. Now, for me, it's an, two sectors that I find in a different part of the cycle. Banks are, I think, a bit overvalued. Yeah, uh, they're probably going to under-earn uh, into the future. Mm. Everyone looks at it as a yield play. I think one thing we have learned with banks and Miners, when people start there saying it's a yield stock, mm. usually that's the top of the cycle, <laughs> and then you start losing yield. And we're mm. probably there for the banks. Mm. Insurance is on the other side, and Gaurav's right. The premium cycle is in their favour, um, and the yield cycle is in their favour. Mm. Um, yes, it's a science project, mm. so I rely on uh, really weird dudes who carry. Uh, you do actually you need cover those guys. this. Yes. Yeah, the weirdo, weirdos. <laughs> the insurance um, analysts are interesting it's, it's not sexist. Uh, guys and girls who do yeah. it are yeah, real yeah. weird people, uh, actuaries. <laughs> And the smart ones who do it, we mm. look at what they're seeing on a mm. relative basis. And the valuation is pretty good in that context. Mm. Most of them seem to be pretty good. Mm. Now, if you look at most of them, so we've been a fan of IAG and QBE in mm. that cycle. QBE has done well. I think it does like a decent profit upgrade every 10 basis points. Mm. IAG hasn't done much, but mm. the market has dropped in the last mm. six months and IAG has pretty much gone sideways. So in that context, on a relative basis, it's actually done better than the market. So I think the sector is okay. But with the Suncorp, you've got the bank and the divestment. That's where people are getting interested in. I think it priced usually gets priced more like a bank rather than insurance. That's right. So I would say that it's probably over-earning on the multiple in the cycle that it's going to be. Regional probably has too much in it. Uh, Queensland, weather damage, all of that will play out. Yep. So for me, Suncorp here, I'm negative on the banks, and I think that's more bank than insurance. So I'd be selling out. Mm. I'd actually look at, if you're looking at the insurance play, I think IAG is better turnaround story in that insurance play because it's much cheaper, and you know IAG didn't be around when I'm dead, so it's not going to go bust. They manage the risk well, so yeah. in that context, I think you you got to look at the relative valuation. So if you're going for insurance, I think you get better play in IAG. Okay, all right, that is Suncorp. Let's get to the ones as picked by you. Our first stock is Brickworks. Ollie wondering about this. It is uh, highly diversified, one of the largest building products manufacturers and suppliers in Australia. Exposure also in the States. Uh, bricks, masonry, roofing, cement uh, owns 50% share of an industrial property trust with uh, it's a joint venture with 
Goodman Group and Nathan, of course, uh, the building industry construction under a lot of pressure. We keep hearing day after day stories mm. of builders going bust at the moment. Those input costs are obviously rising at the same time, you know, the supply chains. How's this all playing out for Brickworks? Yeah, look, there's a few guys in this kind of pseudo sector. You know, you can look at James Hardy, you can look at Goodman Group. Uh, Brickworks is up there. I'd say all three are probably best of their breed. Uh, they're quite unique to each other, but they're in the same category. Um, I think they're all great, but it's a tough cycle for them. I think in the short term, market's going to be worried. Um, because if you think about the whole BRICS energy costs, input costs that are going to play pretty <coughs> high, um, and the property exposure generally is negative uh, in this kind of you know, higher rate cycle. Um, and so this will play out a bit negative. Uh, for me, that's one of the reasons we stayed out of all of them, but big fan of all of them. Um, that, these are the ones that you buy after the market has had, had the pullback. So I'm, I'm going to be looking at all three of them through this reporting season. Um, the US construction cycle has been weakening. Our property prices are showing signs at its top. So all of those things will weigh on the stock's outlook. So all three of them for me, I mean, James Hardy is a phenomenally good stock. Goodman mm. Group's one of the best private, listed private equity yeah, out there. So. Brickworks is just as good as them. So, you know, these are in that list that I want to buy after the correction. I think there's still a, another leg lower. So I'm keeping an eye on it. Now is not the time to jump in for me. The macro is still quite negative. Most of the leading indicators for all three of them are still sliding. And I think the Fed will raise by 75 basis point. I think RBA will raise by 50 basis point. This is not going to help sentiment in the short term. So going into a reporting season, it's a high risk play. So I'm staying out. Okay, so you're watching it essentially. Yeah, look, it'll, yeah. it'll be a, if you are if you're holding it and you've taken the pullback, I'd yeah. hold it. If okay. you're a long-term player, hold it. Yeah. But I'm not putting fresh money. Yeah, obviously, yeah. So the cycle's against it at the moment. Gaurav, I, I really enjoy analysing this business because the consensus gets this wrong every single time, and they get it wrong because um, the structure of the business is rather complicated, and um, you can't just apply a PE, an ROE, and a yield and, and pretend you value the business because um, the structure is complicated. So actually the biggest chunk of value in Brickworks comes from its stake in Solpats, which is at a 26% odd stake. That stake is worth about 80% of the entire market cap of, of Brickworks itself. Um, the smallest part of the business is the building materials business, this brick, brick business. And I would say that is a good thing. Um, this often gets lumped uh, with other building materials businesses. I've seen analysts pull out earnings uh, and, and just put on the same multiple as, as like CSL, uh, CSR or, or Boral or yeah. something. And I just think um, that's, that's laughably silly to do. <laughs> um, but the, the best part of this business is actually um, the property business. And, and the viewer kind, uh, kind of uh, alluded to that. They own a 50% um, uh, stake uh, in a joint venture that manages industrial property. And, uh, and that thing is growing really, really well. Now the trick with it is that over the last decade, they've uh, realized lots of additional um, income from lowering cap rates. As interest rates have fallen, the value of their industrial property has risen and they've recognized those earnings through the P&L. That's gonna go into reverse. So you're gonna start seeing big, big write-offs coming off, um, off Brickworks. And I think that might be the source of panic and that might be the source of opportunity. Those, those um, I've ignored all the increase over the last few years that Brickworks has enjoyed, and I will ignore all the decrease that they will suffer. And it, will, it is coming. Mm. Now, I think offsetting that, that stake in Solpats, Solpats' largest investment is a massive stake in New Hope Corporation. Yes. New Hope is paying 
probably a 30%, I reckon that might pay 70 cents per share in the interim, in the second half year, I think they're gonna pay 50 to 70 cents per share in dividends. Um, that's gonna flow through to Solpats and then come through to Brickworks. So Brickworks is in for a dividend bonanza. I think that's gonna help prop up the earnings and cash flow. It will see them through a difficult cycle. You're right, they're cycling some difficult um, situations in Australia. The American business actually I think will be all right. They own a very nice little American um, operation that restores old buildings and specialist kind of brick brickwork. And that's not as cyclical as many people think. This is a very well-managed business with a highly competent, um, very hardworking and honest management team. I'm happy to back them. I, I think it's time to start buying, but I wouldn't, wouldn't go hard. I think there'll be an opportunity to go hard. Um, it's, it is a stock that you can say over the next three months, you nibble it yeah. bit by bit. Uh, and you're changing your opinion. You know, but I mean, it, <laughs> There's a case for it. It's a hold. Right. Okay. I think because if you look at what we would consider as a list of private equity, yeah. you know, he's just mentioned Saul, Brickworks, Goodman Group, um, and then you look at things like West Farmers, Macquarie, and, and Infratel. Mm. These are the kind of stocks that you can sit there and say, I can hold it for 10 years, and they're going to evolve with what the market does. So the guys who buy and sell assets, so yes, these are the guys you buy in a crash. Yep. And you just don't know where the bottom is. And I suspect over the next three months, we'll probably see a bottom because we've already got the recession word, right? Once you get the recession, what's the worst thing that can happen after that? All right. So you're, you're getting into that. So it's, it's yeah. trading yeah. a book now. His history tells you you can buy a book work, a book work, brickworks fairly safely once you're trading at or below book. Mm. And I, so I would start buying it now. All right, mm. okay, interesting one then. Um, let's move on to Australian Clinical Labs. Mm. Um, it is in pathology. Now, of course, did well out of COVID, given all the testing. Gwen saying the heat has come out since COVID. Well, it's not over, but obviously that peak of testing is. Uh, wondering what the long-term view is. Gora. Yeah, what a fascinating stock this is. Um, you look at a time series of the results of ACL, and it's a relatively new listing. And it feels as though you're looking at two different companies. There's one business pre-COVID and one business post-COVID. The pre-COVID business is a loss-making, subscale, I would say poor quality, uncompetitive business. And the one post-COVID is a th thriving, flourishing cash flow machine. And how do you square those two together? It's really, um, what's made this business is a very high margin, very high frequency PCR testing. Um, it, we've done a little bit of work on this. It looks to us as though these guys make an 80% operating margin on um, PCR tests. And the volume, of course, we know has been high, persistently high and, uh, and not going down. Um, so th that has kept this company alive. Interestingly, they own a similar market share to, to Sonic of actual physical clinics, um, but they only own, uh, they don't earn returns from those clinics. So, so Sonic owns 44% of industry profits. These guys earn maybe 10% of industry profits despite operating the same number of clinics. That tells you something about the quality of Sonic and the quality of ACL. I'd actually think, I know it looks very cheap because they've got this huge boom of, um, of, of COVID testing going, but you'd have to think. I know governments are silly, but are they silly enough to continue paying 80% margins to these guys to do their testing? And now that we have rat testing and alternatives, I'm, I'm not convinced that, that that honey coming from COVID testing is going to survive. So mm -hmm. actually, this is a sell um, up here. Um, it, I don't think this is a, is, a, is a real competitor to Helios or Sonic. Okay. Um, and, and I don't think absent COVID testing, it will be competitive at all. Yeah, I'll reduce the waffle. I, I completely agree with what we have said. Sonic is our favorite um, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> it's a global play. It 
keeps a certain amount of operation and jams more things through it. And their model survives pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. So you, you look at what the peak was in ACL with the, the massive testing side to where it is, you're getting what, 20, 30% downsides come back. You've had similar pullback in Sonic. I mean, which one would you take mm. for the recovery cycle? Mm. You take yeah. Sonic all day long. So mm. Sonic's a much higher quality business, global business. So if you wanted that exposure, I'd be going to Sonic. I wouldn't be going to ACL. Uh, what do you do with it if you have it? If you have it, I'd be taking the money and putting so it into Sonic. As well. Yeah, I'd yep. sell it and buy Sonic because if you want the same exposure. Okay, all right. That is ACL. Moving right along, Dusk, Lance wanting to know about this one. It is the candle and fragrance company. Um, lost somewhat half of its value since wow. the beginning of the year. Nathan, I guess you talk discretionary. Surely candles and fragrances <laughs> have to be the top of the list in terms of or sacrificing what they, you need. <laughs> <laughs> As they say, there's, there's always the dusk before the dawn. Uh, but look, it, we've been, look, we've been talking about, you know, weak retail sales for a long time. And this, yeah. every retail stock's been smashed, right? Uh, the bigger ones are now starting to roll over as well. Mm. Um, and that's logical. Uh, you have to remember they're cycling numbers that were <coughs> massively fiscal handout boosted retail sales. And we're talking about potentially um, in a slowing down global growth. And that means unemployment's probably gonna tick up. Everyone's worried, everyone's trying to save. A lot of the savings ratios around the world have started to fall off. So people are subsidizing the lack of real income growth with debt and overspending. So mm. in that context, I think retail is going to struggle. I am not picking up retail stocks without the discount of what you get. So the problem here is the price has come down, so the multiple looks cheap. Mm. But the earnings haven't been hard cut. The thing to remember, and this is, I remember through the GFC, where all the quants got absolutely smashed, halfway through the fall, all the analysts upgraded. <laughs> And it was the worst signal because most people didn't have any databases mm. and everyone got excited. Oh, there's an upgrade cycle and everyone jumped in. And then about two weeks later, everyone got absolutely pummeled. So the thing to remember is if there is a recession, forget about whether it's a recession or not, there will be a downgrade. So when these stocks get downgraded, mm. these stocks are not going to trade where they are. They will fall. So you've got to wait for those earnings cuts to go through the cycle. That's where your real discount is. This, the ones that are, I mean, you're starting to see the worry coming through in JB Hi-Fi's, the Harvey Normans, even they West They should Farmers. be worried. I think they have a no, long no, they, way to they should be worried. Yeah. But, you know, JB Hi-Fi shoves more crap into your eyes when you walk in than anyone else. If they're going to struggle, mm. everyone else is going to struggle. Mm. So I can understand why this is going. My buy signal for a lot of these retail stocks is wait for the reporting season, and they'll come out saying, Backward looking, great. Forward looking, shocker. Yeah. And that's when the price will come back and that's when you buy. Okay, <clears throat> all right. So, so don't buy now. You're waiting for it. Yeah. Okay. Wait for the reporting season. This looks extraordinarily cheap, doesn't it? Um, yeah. it's, it's what, a hundred million market cap. I think they're on track to do like $30 million of free cash flow. It's a, it's a lot of money for a hundred million dollars. And um, th there's no doubt that these guys were a huge COVID beneficiary. So when you break down those numbers, same store sales historically have have gone have have been about eight hundred thousand dollars per store. They went up to one point seven million per store. So same store sales basically doubled over the COVID period, and you'd have to think that is ridiculous. Margins doubled, volume was up. Um, I think those numbers were completely unsustainable. So I think you can take that thirty million dollar in earnings and and pretty much ignore it. That's not going to be repeated. It is going to fall. But the share price has really come down to compensate for yeah. that. And, and this is a, a, 
actually a very good retailer. This is a well-run business with an excellent business model, sensational economics, and a store rollout program and a potential international expansion. So I don't think this is one to ignore. So what I've done is, is, is if you take the, the current store count, forget about um, new openings. Mm. If you take historical average of, uh, of $800,000 per store, if you take historical margins, I think you can still, a $10 million um, free cash flow is still achievable from this business, which leaves you with a 10% free cash flow yield. I think that's all right. I think this has fallen a long way and it may be a silly, a silly thing to do. Nathan's investment case sounds more sensible than mine, but I'm going to go with a speculative buy. I'm going to call it a stupid buy though, because um, stupid buy. you have to be somewhat demented to buy this stock now. And, and I think the demented it's, will be rewarded. Look, it's a bear market. <laughs> yeah. You're going to come up with a retail stock to buy in a bear market. Okay. So if you've got cash there. to burn, this is the one. This, is the one. this, is, the this one. is the one. This is the one. Yes. Yeah. Along with the candles at the same time. <laughs> okay. All right, moving right along, we better yeah, better catch the up. pace. Mm. Core Lithium, Henry. I'm sort of assuming it's not Henry Jennings, but anyway, <laughs> he is his we doctor. know he loves his lithium. Yeah, he, he loves. Uh, he's aiming to commence uh, production from its Northern Territory-based finesse uh, project by the end of the year. Of course, mm. it's not producing yet. So, Gorev, Lithium. Mm. Oh, so many. It's a diversity of opinion that you get in this space. I know. Look, I think one of the core investing principles is. Um, is you have to invest in a way that's consistent with yourself, with your psychology and with your ability. And you don't want to be investing in a way that's different because you don't want bad decision making to, to scare you out of positions or to force you into positions. Now, my own way of investing is, is not to buy the hot thing. I, I believe in mean reversion. I believe in the normal distribution of returns. And I usually will buy something when it's, uh, it's on its knees or it's unpopular. And I'll let mean reversion um, do the gain, take, take the gains for me. Um, that's particularly true in cyclical stocks and mining stocks, but that's not what's being asked of us in, in lithium. Um, lithium asks, uh, in investing in a lithium miner asks you to believe not in mean reversion, but that the world is going to be different. Mm. It's asking you to, to trust that, that the world five, ten years from now is going to be very, very different. And psychologically, I find that a very difficult investment case to make. I understand all the bull arguments, right? Like there's no doubt that EVs are taking over, um, that lithium is a core ingredient in EVs and, um, and, and these things are, a lot of capital is going into the industry but there's just simply not enough supply. So I think that's well understood. But this is what, a $1.6 billion business with a, looks like a quite a small little operation. I mean, it, it's, it's, the economics look very good. Um, it's mostly gravity processing, which is exceptional. Um, it's, it's 100 million bucks to start up. Um, look, it, it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with the project. It's just small. It requires expansion. And um, the valuation seems to count every possible success. Um, got, I've, I've completely missed lithium, but I make no apologies for that. I'm not interested in chasing it. I think lithium is still a sell. Um, Andrew, I'm not interested in, 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 in buying it. When you can buy coal stocks at a, at a 30 or 40 or 80% free cash flow yield, yeah. I would allocate money elsewhere. All right. Depends yeah. what your ESG screen is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maiden? Uh, oh, look, I'll take the other it's, side. It's crazy. I'm sorry, yeah. but it's crazy to say that mining lithium yeah. is, is cleaner, cleaner than mining than the, coal. Yeah, I know, I know. Anyone who's looked at a lithium operation, it yeah. is a disaster for the Well, there's another one coming yeah. that you love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, <clears throat> I'll take the other side in the context that Yes, EV, and we were on it, but this, there's a certain level of, you know, maybe I'm just getting too old and 
too pessimistic. But people get carried away with these things. And they start thinking that one solution is going to rule the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a Highlander. There can only be one. There isn't. Usually you get a basket of solutions. Hang on, so, did you just put a Highlander I in there? I had to put a Highlander in there. I just came into my head. I said, I've got to use it. Um, there can only be one solution. Never works. There wow. will be a hybrid. There yeah. will be multiple solutions. And I think lithium will play a part of that. Um, but you've got to look at where we are in the macro cycle. <clears throat> copper is rolling over hard mm. in a time when copper has supply side issues. Copper is underperforming gold, which is telling you where we are in the cycle. There's a slowing growth, people can't afford. So people get carried away with these bubbles. So in that context, it will have a weaker cycle to play out. Mm. Now, copper on a longer term basis, you know it's part of everything, whether it's EV, whether it's construction, whatever you want to think about. Electrification of the planet. Exactly. Yeah. So when you've got copper underperforming, these uh, EV commodities will struggle and mm. that's hitting everyone. So now is not the time to pick a bottom. Do I know what the bottom is? No, because it's a pure sentiment play. It ran up more than I thought. It'll probably run down more than I thought. So in context, I don't know. I'm waiting to see it. All the lithium stocks are coming off yep. and there's a lot of hot money in there. A lot of retail funders have made a lot of money. Yep. And when panic comes in, everyone tries to get out at the same time. Okay, so, so if you're there? If you're there, look, if you made the run, manage your risk. Sell 30, 40%, lock in your capital and, and then have a free ride. Yep. Don't get greedy. This is where people lose money. All right. Don't get greedy. Okay. All right. Next one, Orica. Paul Wannington about this is the chemicals maker. Um, now, just in terms of obvious market uh, growth, it, uh, we obviously have restricted supply given what's going on both China and Russia at the moment. So how's Orica likely to benefit from that? Nathan? Yeah, oh, look, I've got to start with a pun. It's got a... Explosive upside. Explosive. I had to use that. Sorry. Right. Uh, that's bad. Uh, that's what I call a dad's pun. Uh, but look, Orica is a really interesting business. It was the unloved one out of the chemical sector because mm. the others had the fertilizer play. Interestingly enough, Incidec Pivot is planning to break out the explosive business because it's not getting the love. Mm. Uh, and that's putting interest into Orica. Orica's in an upgrade cycle, it's actually doing well. And, you know, people weren't blowing stuff up for a long time. And obviously, mm-hmm. supply side issues, people are doing more things. It's coming back in fashion. I actually think it is very rare to find a top 50 stock underperforming. And this is a dominant player in, in, on the global scale. I always thought West Farmers might look at these guys and, as a potential takeover target. Mm. So I like it. I, I think it's a great business. I think it's a big enough business, global business, that you can back. Um, is it going to shoot the lights out unless there's a takeover? I think it's a grind higher, but I think it's a good business. I'm happy to buy it. I, I, I think it's doing well, and I think it'll continue to do well. Mm. I think there'll be a consolidation in that uh, explosive business side, uh, chemicals, and it'll do well. Okay. Guru? Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a good one to bring up at this point, actually. Um, look, I, I find this one difficult to come to a decision to. Nathan's made some good points there. This, there is a good business in Orica. There is no doubt about that. Explosives is very attractive because it attracts a small part of the mining cost, but a, it, uh, there's a high degree of risk in the activity. So it's not traditionally the place where miners go to look for productivity gains or to cut costs um, because it's a high risk activity and it doesn't really consume that much cost in the first place. So that leaves room for a business like Orica to actually make very good margin, have a high degree of pricing power. And historically, it's actually been a very good performing business with excellent returns on capital, super high margins. Um, it went and stuffed all that up with poor acquisitions, poor capital management, 
Um, I think that's all been cleaned up now. We've got new management in there. The mistakes of the, of the past have all gone. Minerva's been sold. Write-offs have, have cleaned the, the, the book out now. And I think it's looking like a nice, clean business again. They still carry too much debt for my liking. And they've continued investing in these, um, these wireless ignition systems. And I think this is the future. When you're talking yeah, about explosive yeah, the blowing up. this is very important. You know, one of the, the riskiest part of the explosive operation, you've got to drill holes, you've got to fill those holes with explosives. Mm. Then someone manually has to crawl along the mine site and wire those explosives up. Live explosives, you've got to wire that up manually. Now, Oracus technology allows you to send low frequency radio waves through very thick rock reliably. And, uh, and explode those things without sending people to in, in harm's way. Mm. It's important technology. It's gaining a lot of industry acceptance and is the key to, um, to, to higher revenue growth and margin growth. The problem they face is that the mining industry now is very different to what it was 10 or 15 years ago. You've got these giant miners that are very conscious of cost. They make very good returns on, on capital and they're acting more like the supermarkets and less like well, miners. Mm. <laughs> They're very careful with their, with their costs. Very few contractors to miners are making money anymore. I think that's the new norm. So I think applying historic margins is a mistake to Oracle. I think mm. they're permanently impaired. They're going to earn lower margins in the future. But there is a good business here. At the right price, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, I reckon they can probably make $600 million in, in EBIT, um, add, add a bit of debt, and, and it's about 13 times which I think is mildly cheap. I think you can buy this, but it's not cheap enough for me. I would want, for the balance sheet risk and the operating risk, I'd want a bit more. I reckon about 13 bucks is where I'd be looking, but uh, it's, it, it's fair, like you can, you can buy this. It's a yep. big cap, and I think yeah, very, I can see what you're saying. there's not many top 50 stocks that you're gonna get at this kind of discount. Are you persuading it? No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm going hold. Okay. But, but for the high risk investor, it, it's not a silly idea. Yep. I think there's a, okay. an investment case. Potential to buy, but yeah. maybe at a lower price. All right, mm. let's summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. We began there with our stock of the day, Suncorp. Uh, Gaurav saying, look, insurance in general, what do you call it? Sort of the dark science. Um, <laughs> overly complex. He's, he's, he's avoiding it at this point. Uh, Nathan, he's got a sell on it. Our uh, one's picked by you, Brickworks. Um, Nathan saying, well, obviously, it's a tough cycle that we're in at the moment. He's got a, a hold, but essentially just watching at it at the moment. Uh, Gaurav uh, nibbling at it. Um, yeah, potential buy there. Australian Clinical Labs in pathology, a sell from both. Done very well out of COVID, but uh, headwinds facing now. Uh, Dusk, a weight saying it looks cheap, but uh, haven't got the earnings picture as yet. And Gaurav calling it a stupid buy. <laughs> Make of it what you will. Uh, Core Lithium, both have a sell on it. And Orica there, explosive. Yeah, Nathan made the pun. A buy and Gaurav essentially a hold, waiting for it to go lower at this point. All right, let's uh, catch up with Call's uh, High Conviction Fund. That's as picked by our investment committee. The next episode's out tomorrow, so watch for that. Uh, let's check in. As of at the moment, West Farmers, Elders and Resmed, they were added last month, shifting the original allocations. So keep sending in your requests. You can keep the call switched on to see which 
stocks our committee will be looking at next. As I said, the new one will be out tomorrow. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. The next five stocks we're looking at, John's Ling Group, uh, ANZ, Bigger, Cobalt Blue and Betmakers. Let's begin with John Ling Group, um, building services, uh, operations. Well, uh, it's obviously um, been involved with the, what's going on with the recent flooding, particularly in Queensland and New South Wales. It's going to have more work ahead of it, given what's just happened in New South Wales over the weekend. Mark asking, is this a good inflation bet? It seems to have a few tailwinds. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I'll start with saying one of my fundy mates told me to buy this at two, three dollars. I said, nah, it's not that good a business. <laughs> and then it went to nine dollars. Um, look, the management is really good. Mm. And his pitch was the fact that they asked him, why don't you acquire other businesses at the early stage to ramp up their growth play? And he goes, nah, I want to build the business gradually and have a solid business. He wasn't chasing the share market performance. He was, and that's the kind of thing that you go, oh yeah, that's, that's good management. Mm -hmm. You want to back there. And he did, and it's executed really well. Uh, they're basically insurance rebuild. Uh, so every disaster, it clips. Um, the thing that you forget is that for their, where their costs are going to come from. So the input costs must be going through the roof in mm -hmm. this cycle, right? Construction is hard. Mm -hmm. Labor costs must be going through. Mm -hmm. It's a tough play. Oh, look, I, I love management. I think they're really good but I think it's a tough cycle. They will have a lot of work, but I'm not sure that the margins are going to be as good as what people have seen. Um, so that'll shock people. So again, this will be one for me to keep an eye on through the reporting season, how they report, especially the outlook statement on costs and so forth. Um, so I'm waiting to see that. I'm not jumping in before the reporting season on this one, but this is one on your shopping list. It is yep. high quality. Okay, you're watching it then at this point, Gaurav. Pretty much every smart fund manager I know owns this stock and raves about it. And I have looked at it in the past and I just don't see it, Nathan. Um, I agree, very good management, very strong management team, culturally a superior business. Financially, it's okay, I'll call it above average. Um, we're talking about 4% margins or so. Um, they've done very well in terms of revenue growth, but there have been a lot of acquisitions that, yes. that assist that revenue growth. Now, I think they're sensible. Yep. I, I make a lot of sense. And as I said, management's excellent here. But this, is, this trades on 65 times earnings. And from what I can see, there's no earnings trick. There, there's no revenue recognition yeah. trick. There, there's no accounting trick. Like, it's 60 times earnings. Um, one of the things that makes this business very good is that it's reliant on personal relationships, reputation, and, uh, and, uh, and a history of completing work well for its customers. Now, all those things protect it from competition locally, but they're off in the, to the US and they have aggressive expansion plans. And those things for them are obstacles. They have to beat the incumbents who have all those things, all those qualities that protect them at home. All their competition in America have all those qualities and somehow, they have to overcome them. I don't know what, how to think about that. If, if they actually succeed in America, I'm worried about their local business. I'm like, well, if, if they can go there and beat the incumbents, can't mm. someone come here and beat them? 
I, I would. I think this is a sell. I mean, okay. I, I'm. Like I said, every smart person I know owns this stock. Yeah, I'm in the, that, that's in the a, minority. That is a worrying sign. Whenever I yeah. look for a stock, first thing I try and avoid what everyone loves. <laughs> so you know, the classic ones were City Chic. City Chic, you're right. Everyone, you're right. everyone was about in it, right? BWX. Mm. These these were market darlings. If you look at the shareholders, and now look at them. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. The yeah. problem is when everyone tries to get out, you get slaughtered. Yep. Do you know what? It, it is hard when every smart person owns the stock. That's it. Like I'm worried about. What are you saying? saying Play saying dumb in it. your investing strategy. I'm just saying that that it, there's there's a herding effect yeah. uh, yes. as well. When everyone is on the same stocks, it's hard to but sit the, here and say. But the trick for me silly. is to simply say, if everyone is in there, yeah, who is coming? I know. Because I looked at BWX before the last downgrade, after four downgrades, major funds. About five or six of them are in there. It's like. Who's going to come now? So it's yeah. got to be the same guy. So. All right. Okay. That is a sell from Gorev. Mm. Moving right along then uh, to one of the big banks, ANZ. JC wanting to about this uh, did recently uh, what we know margins, but then you know, the net interest margins are uh, an issue for banks across the board at the moment. Uh, recorded recently mm. recorded a 23% decline in its cash earnings. Gorev. We Out of the banks? Well, okay, so well, you're looking at the banking segment at the moment. What are you thinking, particularly mm. in the face of rising interest rates and particularly ANZ? We haven't upgraded a bank in more than 10 years. We own zero banks in any of the three portfolios we manage. Um, banks are not my favourite stocks. In fact, uh, we've been telling people to get rid of them. We see no reason to own them. But having looked at this, uh, well, last night, <laughs> um, the price was interesting. I, mm. I, I was surprised to see the prices down where they were. Now, the, the big four banks, they don't have a lot of growth potential. They're being attacked in every major business line by new competitors. But they are very well capitalised. Um, their, their market position is incredibly powerful. And they generate lots and lots of cash. Now, I don't value banks on PE. I think it's very dangerous. If you look at what cash earnings actually is, which goes into the P of the PE, cash earnings is a number that the banks make up. <laughs> there's there's no such, there's yeah. no accounting term for cash earnings. That's just, there's a lot of discretion. So the way to value banks is look at the, um, the asset base and value it okay. as a proportion of assets because they, they generate a return on the, on the assets on the books. So they're now about, uh, what, just over uh, book value, which is historically quite attractive. Usually Australian banks trade at sort of 1.5, 1.7. CBA was at one stage three times book, which, which was hilariously silly. <laughs> but this is looking, I must say, um, kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to buy it, but I think if you're there, uh, you should expect um, a, sort of an average ROE. I think it, it deserves to trade at sort of um, a, a slight um, premium to book, and it is. So I think it's fairly priced. And you should be able to get a five six percent return out of this, which puts it in the hold category. For okay, me. all right. Maybe. I'm surprised it's not a sell because usually banks for me are, are very <laughs> yeah. unattractive. All right. Oh, mm. uh, look, I think I think the banks for me don't offer a lot. Mm. It's it's a macro trade. So the dominant player for banks who move the bank share price are global guys. So they're applying the Aussie exposure because of the currency and the yield play. Mm. So globally, when yields rise, um, banks do well. And when Aussie dollar rises, banks do well. Now, yields in a um, recession cycle, in a tightening cycle, initially they run up. And once they start to worry about recession, yields actually drop because bonds become a better risk return than equities. So that is exactly what is happening now. So you've got yields coming off and it'll be negative for the banks. Aussie dollar is starting to roll over, negative for banks. 
So think of those two main factors that rule the share price. Yep. Now, if you looked at it over the last 20 years, most banks have gone nowhere. So ANZ is actually trading below what it was pre-GFC. Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, they've paid dividends, mm. but these are not great businesses. They're, they're basically a cartel that's protected by the government. So yes, they'll be around, but in a, you know, if you're going for the return over time, banks are not the place going in the next decade because uh, they're going to be attacked all over the place. So I don't see the benefit. I want the discount to buy in. Why do their multiples look half decent? Mm -hmm. I think it's because the same problem as retail. You haven't seen the downgrade yet. Mm -hmm. They've been funneling the bad debt provisions out to keep the profits looking good. Now you're gonna see bad debt provisions rising into the future. And I think when that starts to happen, suddenly you get this shock. And I think that's what's gonna happen in the banks sooner or later. So I'm not going into the banks, ANZ, um, you know, I don't see banks are hugely different. Everyone loves yeah. CBA and the rest. Mm -hmm. I don't see a huge difference. I think they're all pretty much the same at the moment. Um, and I don't think the next two, three years, unless you get the real discount, it's not worth it. Okay, so what, can I call it a sell to pull your cash elsewhere? Yeah, I would be selling out of banks, okay. um, and, and nobody will. In retail, they'll tell you, oh, tax implications. That's right. And I understand that. Right. But the reality is, if you're looking at return over the next few years, banks are not great place. The, the return profile for banks actually looks like, we've, we've called it a reverse lottery in the past. Mm. I think you have a 90% chance of collecting that 5 or 6% return. It's like a 10% chance that there's a big wipeout. Mm. You have to remember, like 80% of their, their assets are in property. If that property market wobbles, mm. um, these things are exposed. Yeah, well, um, may, may look, yeah. say look a bit wobbly. All right, uh, mm. moving on to bigger. Stacey wanting to know about this. Um, of course, uh, it is in uh, producing you know, cheese and, and the like. And it's once again, it's those input prices, higher milk prices, other cost pressures. Um, earnings, forward earnings looking a bit shaky at this point, Nathan? Yeah, look, it, it's so ugly. I had to look at it. Uh, <laughs> and, and you've just mentioned the problems, right? Um, it was a time when people who were just marketing machines that can put together a product mm. were making the money. The guy who makes the milk doesn't get the money. The guy packaging it gets the money. Australian mm. um, owned. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, brand name. <laughs> uh, now that's flipping to the other side. The guy who making the product is actually now back in fashion. So for these guys, they have really good brands. Um, so the market is selling it, input cost, labor, all of those things play into it. Margins are getting squeezed. But that's what's interesting because there's two stocks that I always look at is Bega and Blackmores, and both of them are coming off. Yep. And I think it's one where you don't need to rush in, mm. but I think you want to be monitoring it through the reporting season. What they say, what outlook statements that come out of them is important for me. If they come out with a decent outlook statement, I'd be a buyer of both of them because both of them have really good product play. It's probably going to struggle in the short term, but medium to long term, I think the brands are good enough that I'm willing to back it. The multiples are you know, already pricing in the downgrade. But yes, I'd wait because if the outlook statement is weak, they'll take another leg lower. Mm. And never, never ever say, this is fallen far enough because they can always fall more. Correct. When this first listed, I think we called it one of the worst <laughs> floats we've seen at that time. This is going back about 10 years or so. And that was because uh, Bigger didn't control the Bigger brand name, mm. but they were um, a contract processor. So they owned really low variable margins in a capital intensive cyclical business. The combination of the worst ingredients for a business. And credit to management, they took that IPO money <laughs> and they've built a much better quality business. They bought a staple of brands mm. where they actually have pricing power, where they earn better returns on capital. And the difference in Bega today compared to that IPO is 
Chalk and cheese, you like that? Oh, <laughs> look, yeah, the puns are coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, this is a much better business than it used to be. And, yeah. and I do credit management with a good, good strategy. They've been patient. I think they may have paid a little too much, but I think that can be forgiven as well. Look, I, um, Nathan, I was actually pleased that Nathan went first. He's, he's called this entire sector really, really well. And, and, I, and I agree with you, mate. I think the, it, it's time for the... You better uh, check his temperature. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> the producers are now, it, it's their turn to earn some, yeah. some money. But, but these guys are brand owners. And I would hold off. It's looking rather attractive, I've got to say. But I would hold off because there's so many different paths yeah. that they could go. No one makes a lot of money supplying coals and bullies. Okay. But these guys have a good collection of brands. I like to see how they do with cost control and passing some of those prices on to yeah. Coles and Woolies. I'd be interested. Yeah. I would hold for now, but I acknowledge that this is this is getting more interesting now. Okay. Mm. All right. That's almost what's well, certainly a one to watch from one both. One to watch. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's head back into the battery metal space. Uh, Jeff wanting to know about this one, Cobalt Blue Holdings, a exploration company with a project at Broken Hill. Uh, it is uh, in demand given that battery technology. The project was awarded $15 million as a critical mineral accelerator initiative. That was a grant by the federal government. The company has also been approached apparently by South Korea about supplying cobalt uh, once they uh, start producing. So, Gorev, Cobalt Blue. Yeah, the cobalt is actually quite an obscure little metal. 75% um, of all cobalt production comes out of the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, also known as the dodgy Republic <laughs> of Congo. This is a place where you do not want to have any investment or anything exposed to with, with your money, right? Well, um, just going there is dodgy. I've been there. It's you've been there, have you? Wow. To see the gorillas? <laughs> Sorry? To see the gorillas? Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted yep. as well, but, but I wouldn't. <laughs> Um, in fact, the largest, um, the largest mines in the world now, the new deposits of, of cobalt are coming from tailings dams, from old operations, from the DRC. Mm. Um, they completely overwhelm and dominate this market, which explains why there's so much interest in, um, in, in non-DRC cobalt suppliers. Um, when they mine this stuff in the DRC, they, they, they pick up these rocks, and often those rocks are mixed with... Um, uh, with radioactive substances as well. And so you get these kids carrying radioactivity on their backs. It's, it's a horrible situation. Mm. Apple owns their own uh, cobalt mines, so they don't have employ uh, children and they have very safe, um, radioactive-friendly uh, mining methods. Not many other people do. And so there's a huge dem uh, um, demand for, for cobalt um, outside of the, of the DRC. So I understand the investment case here. It's it's an attractive and sensible place to be looking, but there are very few uh, cobalt deposits. Uh, ge uh, geologically, cobalt is usually a byproduct of, of say, copper or, or, or some other or some other metal, and so that leaves the supply very tricky. It doesn't necessarily res respond to price signals, um, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. You can suddenly get a big rush of, of new supply that has nothing to do with where the cobalt price is. Mm -hmm. and, and the mining is so unique. I'm not very familiar with the mining method. I'm not familiar with the economics. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this warning that the, the, the best way I know how to lose money in the market is trying to make it really, really quick. And this strikes me as a way of trying to make money very, very quickly. And I think it's very dangerous. To me, this seems too risky. Um, like, as I said, there are so many interesting opportunities that the last place, the, the last place I'd be looking is an exploration business at this point. All right. That is an avoid. Nathan? Yeah, look, uh, he's right. I mean, I think the main thematic is the fact that DRC, 
and if you don't want to get it from DRC, you need to diversify, mm. and this is in Australia, blah, blah. Mm. Explorer, oh, look, um, it's, it's interesting because everyone talks about lithium and you know, we've had the graphite cycle. There's not too many players where you're gonna get cobalt exposure, mm. and that's <coughs> what makes it interesting. Um, it's a high-risk Explorer play. Um, right now, Explorers in pretty much every commodity are getting hit, and there's no difference here. Um, I think it's just high risk at the moment. As I said before, you know copper is going to be around and copper is sliding. And so everything in the EV is struggling with at the, in the current cycle. I don't think cobalt is going to be any different in the short term. Yeah. The, it's actually funny, the only commodities outperforming gold over the last three go on, months. Go on. I know. <laughs> Coal yeah. and oil, yeah. right? And that just tells you something. Mm. Everyone else is underperforming over the last three months. So, in, I'm sorry point to, to butt in there, mate, but there's an important point there because um, everyone concentrates on the demand side. Everyone thinks, oh, the demand is, is booming. The prices must boom. In fact, what contributes to um, over-earning is what's happening on the supply side. And the reason why energy, oil, LNG, gas, these things have boomed is because there's been no investment for 10 years into the supply side, and that is a much better economic than, um, than demand in the future, mm. uh, but mm. capital pouring in. And, and to, to your point, yeah. if you look at the mining capex of the big miners globally, yes. it's actually negative. So they're actually decreasing. Yes. So they're not doing as much, that's why mining services are not doing that great, and that sector is underperforming. So in that context, I can see why people want to punt, but this is a cycle where you want, you're getting a discount on producers it's not a time for explorers. So mm, yep. you buy explorers when producers are flying. And most producers are in sliding at the moment. So All right. it's high risk. Okay, so uh, both avoiding it essentially. All right, we better make this one quick. Yeah. Uh, finally, Ben wanting to know about bet makers. He says, I'm newly into the stock picking as part of a small satellite portfolio uh, with a three to five year time horizon. Although it is not profitable, it seems to be picking up momentum with contracts. It's issued a buyback, yet the chart is dire. Um, can it be called a specky buy, perhaps, Nathan? Oh, I did not get the whole logic of the online betting growth when it ran up. Mm. And when it fell, I went, okay, that's logical. Mm. I just still don't get the whole, what's the upside? Because it's not like there's a real moat for most of these businesses. There's no moat. There isn't. Yeah. But the interesting part is, there's a hell of a lot of fundies get involved yeah. and they jam it up to massive growth story and everyone follows the tide and I may be dumb, but if I can't explain why something is outperforming, I try not to follow the trend because if I can't explain why it's going up, I can't explain why it's falling. Yeah. So this is one where I didn't get it on the way up um, and I didn't get, I kind of didn't get it on the way down. I, I still don't get it. I don't see the competitive advantage of someone doing a business that's pretty easy for anyone else to follow. And everyone seems to be winning contracts in different, different states and everyone seems to be doing this. And it used to be when the market was running up, everyone was buying it because they got more potential market. Now they're winning contracts and no one cares. So in that context, it's a sentiment play. And I, I think in a, in a bear market, you don't chase non-profitable sentiment plays. You buy things that are going to be structurally doing better. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just, yeah, it's just too hard. Avoid. Yeah. Okay, Gorak. I would agree with that last part. That's very hard. So um, these guys aren't actually in the front end doing the uh, customer acquisition and the bookie stuff, which I agree is, that's a terrible business. I would never invest in that part of the market. These guys are in the back end, they, they supply software um, for those, those front end um, uh, bookies. Um, 
I, I just don't know. Like, how do you know? Um, it's, it's a big, it's a huge market. There's lots of competitors. I have no idea uh, whether these guys have a good product or not. I agree with the viewer. They're making progress. There's lots of contracts. It looks like they're going to be cash flow break even. That's good stuff. But this is a still a very expensive stock. Um, and um, I, I don't know whether it's going to make money or not. So, you know, if, as, as I said, you, you, you got to weigh each opportunity against the entire set of opportunities. I, I can name a dozen businesses where I'm pretty certain that in three to five years, you'd be making pretty good return. I have no idea what with this one. I just don't know. So I, I mean, I, I don't know why you'd buy it in that situation, unless you know something more about the industry, unless you have a more certain view. Um, well, then you can make a judgment, but I just don't. So I'm, I'm going to go with no idea on that one, Andrew. No idea. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a bit different. <laughs> it's almost sort of... More like, people yeah. should, should use it. Yeah. I, yeah. Look, I think there is something to be said about yeah. it. If you don't know... Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. yeah fair enough. All right. Uh, okay, let's summarise where we've been for the second half of the show. John's Ling Group, uh, Nathan, uh, yeah, look, uh, worried about those uh, input costs. Obviously, he's watching it. It's on his shopping list, in fact, uh, whereas Gorov is selling it. ANZ, Gaurav, he doesn't own banks, so but he does have a, a, a hold on it. Um, Nathan's got a sell on that. Bega, uh, talk about great brands there, and uh, Gaurav talking about done, the business has turned around essentially, uh, both watching it, and uh, Cobalt Blue there, a double avoid given the risk, and just finally their bet makers, an avoid from Nathan, no idea, says Gaurav. All right, and on that note, <laughs> Uh, thanks to Agus Gore. Thanks for joining us from Intelligent Investor. Happy to finish on ignorance, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and Nathan, Deep Data Analytics. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at ausbiztv, and you can find those stocks in the calls portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks for watching. <laughs>